Hi, I'm Ali, Salon Director at the Head Gardener Hair Salon in Inverness, and I'm delighted to be sponsoring this brilliant new podcast called Lump. It's honest, raw, challenging, funny, and very, very sweary. But let's face it, cancer is a bit bloody sweary. One last thing, make sure you rate, like, and share Lump wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks a million. And over to Penny. So this episode is another chatty one, and I'm talking to an old friend of mine, Kirsten Gilmore, KJ. Um, KJ runs KJ's Bossy Bakery <laughs> in Granton, and is an amazing chef, food writer, and in particular, a just outrageously talented baker. Oh, you say all the right things. She also happens to be married to someone who uh, has an ongoing diagnosis, Al. Al actually featured in an earlier episode of Lump, uh, which you can go back and listen to, episode 10, the elegantly titled Not a Pissing Contest. (laughs) Um, KJ, I wanted to talk to you because over the course of making Lump, it's, um, it's occurred to me, and it's something I've become increasingly aware of. When I was in the thick of the fight, I don't think I paused to consider really how difficult it was for the people around me. Not because I didn't care, Mm -hmm. but because I was in the thick of the fight and you can be so consumed by cancer and all its implications Mm -hmm. that it's very difficult to really think about your nearest and dearest. Um, But it's something I feel it's really important to talk about because I'm not sure we spend enough time talking about how cancer and the diagnosis affects everyone around you. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've been, you've been living with it for yeah, quite a long time. we've just hit our six year anniversary from diagnosis. So it's been quite a slog mm. for sure. What do you remember about that diagnosis? Do you remember, was it one of those, I remember the very moment when? It's funny, um, I could tell you exactly the day, well, what I was doing that day. Um, We had been, Al had been suffering from a really sore back, sore joints. He'd been really tired and sleeping a lot. Um, He was a mountaineering instructor, so we just put it down to it being sort of the end of the season. He was just getting tired and he just needed a rest. And then he was going to physio for this bad back and he thought that was from a a mountain bike crash. Um, And I just remember him saying, I'm gonna go to the doctor. And that was um, just before Christmas. They gave him loads of blood tests. Um, There was no real sort of knowing what was going on. It was just assumed it was a bad back. Um, But the doctor was amazing and said, let's just run a whole host of blood tests. We'll see if anything shows up. So we kind of got through Christmas and then I was actually out doing a massive mountain bike loop doing the Burma Road and then back over Rivo and Pass that day. It was a day like today, sunshine, beautiful, snow on the hills. Um, It was just like the perfect biking day, out with a mate, um, went to the co-op to get stuff for dinner, was in the co-op, in the fruit and veg section and my phone went and it was Al and he said, the doctor's phoned and I need to know where you are, I'm coming home from work now. And I just said, well, what is it? And he went, I'm not telling you over the phone. And I was like, what do you mean you're not telling me? 
you need to tell me because Glenmore Lodge is a 50 minute drive from our house. And he was like, I'm not talking to you over the phone about it. I'll see you at the house. And I just remember dropping the basket on the floor, walking straight home and just waiting and pacing the house thinking, oh my God, what is it? What is it? And then he said, I've got myeloma. And I was like, what is myeloma? And he's like, I have no idea, but it's cancer. So we put it into Google and just sat there going, what the hell's going on? Um, so yeah, it was wild. Yeah. How, I don't want to preempt what you say. <laughs> How did it impact you? It's funny, what you were just saying sort of in the intro part about being in the thick of it for you, I, th I think Al describes it really well. He says that it's easy for him because he feels that he's just, he's concentrating on one thing of staying alive, do you know, and keeping himself as well as he can. But he feels that for me, I'm juggling him not having a job or I'm juggling going to work but worrying about him or juggling hospital appointments or you know um or things like that so how it impacted me i think it just turned our life completely upside down i suddenly went from having a really capable partner who we did everything together to him being a cripple really quite quickly with at the start because he was so poorly he got a lot of infections um and my cookbook was coming out at the same time, so oh, yeah. I was trying to juggle the two. And I just remember being in Ragmore and Al being like on oxygen and being really quite unwell with this infection and being so stressed. And then the publisher phoned me while I was in the hospital and said, your cookbook is gonna be published in New Zealand and just bursting into tears. And I don't know whether I was crying about being happy about the cookbook or crying because Al was so sick. And there were so many of these um, double-edged sword type, you know, things going on. It was it was so tricky. Um, it's hard to say exactly how it's affected me because it's completely changed our lives. But there's also been a lot of good things come out of it. We've become closer. We've adjusted. We're incredibly grateful for what we do have. Um, yeah, it's quite hard to to expand on it without giving a massive list. <laughs> massive list is absolutely fine. But um, there's, so many, um, there's so many things bouncing through my head, I guess. Did it change Al? I know it changed him in terms of what he was physically able to do. But I also know from personal experience that that has a really big psychological impact. And, you know, I've, I've fought with that one myself. Al was one of the first people I wanted to talk to about my cancer because I felt there were, you know, so many kind of echoes. Not, not that I had anything like, you know, the seriousness in a sense of his myeloma, but I knew he'd gone from being really active to, to living within this cancer cage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and one I of think, a better way of saying it. And but. I think the thing with cancer is it's so um, it's so personal, and everyone is affected so differently. But there's so many parallels that it doesn't matter if it's terminal, if it's incurable, if it's curable. You're all on the same road, do you know. And there's still that fear of, you know, we've got the massive fear of 
when it's going to rear its ugly head really badly and you know and it'll be the end you know and I'm sure you go through the fear of it coming back you know and it's it is just a big ugly monster sort of sitting in the back of your head um it definitely changes the way you you see things and you think about things um did it change him as a person do you think I think it did I think at the start he was determined he was more stubborn than he'd ever been which was really bloody stubborn he was told he was never going to ride a mountain bike again which was absolutely horrific for him um, but even before he'd had a lot of the treatment he managed to get on his bike with me riding behind him being like his police person you know making sure he was all right um, I think the drugs have changed him a lot so he um, he's now on twice weekly steroids but for about four years he was on high dose steroids um, and when I say high dose I mean off the scale um, I had to take credit cards and his, his basically all of his bank cards off him and hide them because he would have just spent every penny we had and put us into debt. He bought a sewing machine. He was high as a kite. He bought a sewing machine. He bought fabric from Finland because it was the best fabric that he could get for sewing these bags that he decided he wanted oh, to make. Bags. I was going to yeah, ask yeah, what, bike what was bags, he going to make? Bike bags and. Uh, camping bags you know he's so on tarps he loves sewing now it's brilliant oh so he has yeah so he has he's, yeah so but it just all I think they were these were things that were in the back of his head that he thought he'd like to do but then the steroids just like went and made everything come out uh, that's a pretty random bucket list it was isn't it? pretty wild um yeah, or, you know, I would be, like, thinking, oh, what's going to turn up in the post today? What's he bought? Oh, my God. You know, it was uh, it was pretty crazy. So he was pretty unpredictable. He had some pretty massive mood swings. He would be really high, and I'd be trying to be really grounded. Um, and someone like myself who's got a bit of anxiety, you know, you're always trying to keep yourself grounded, trying to keep your feet on the ground. And then you've got this madman living in the house for three days of the week that you're just like, oh my God, how do I cope with this guy? Um, you don't want to say, no, you can't do that because that will make him really grumpy and angry. It's just such a tricky situation. Um, but I think the long-term effect of, of that is that it has changed him in the sense that he's got quite cloudy head. He's kind of got permanent chemo brain. Um, he forgets things. And he'll even forget conversations that we've had. So it can be quite frustrating because I'll say something like, oh, we're going to go and have dinner with someone or we're going to do something. And then the next day he won't remember the conversation at all. Um, but you just learn to live with it. Do you know? It just becomes the new norm. Um, so, yeah. And what about you? Um, so he gets a diagnosis which turns both your worlds upside down. And there he is, literally in the thick of the fight, um, in and out of hospital and having all this medication and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. uh, so it had a massive effect on my work to start with because I was juggling a cafe and having more that we had anywhere between 100 to 300 people through the doors each day. This was allegedly Mountain Cafe. <laughs> and I was juggling 20 staff, trying not to burn the team out, 
trying to manage them. We had to close a couple of days a week every now and then. Um, so that had quite a big financial effect. Um, and then we had to put limited menus on because my second chef, she needed to have days off. Um, so financially it had a big difference. Um, I was also completely heartbroken because I kind of felt like I'd lost my partner in crime and at that time I didn't know how long he was going to have. Um, when he was first diagnosed we kind of thought that it would be five years maximum. Um, he's now coming into his seventh year and his bloods are actually the best they've ever been, uh, which is fantastic. So that was really difficult and I also had the cookbook coming out which was a cookbook tour so I was juggling that, juggling him with hospital um, and I mean I'll be completely honest about it you know I ended up pushing myself so hard trying to be the perfect wife, being a carer, having all that stress and trying to run a business that I didn't look after myself and I didn't know how to look after myself. I didn't take any time to go for a walk on my own or go for a jog on my own or go out on my bike. I just stopped doing all the things that I loved because I felt too guilty to do it because if I went and did it, it was like saying to Al, ah, ha, ha, I'm off on my bike, but oh, that's right, you can't ride your bike. You know, so you have to stay at home on your own. And it is just, you know, well, you know yourself, it's horrific. Um, and I never said to Al, I really want to ride my bike, because he would have said, I want you to ride your bike, go out. But I just suffered in silence because I didn't want to make him feel guilty. We're way past that now. Um, <laughs> so I ended up just kept pushing myself and pushing myself to the point where I actually had a mental breakdown and I ended up having to have three months off work, which then involved Al having to step in to juggle my staff while I was incredibly ill and having to rebuild myself. Um, and now I preach to anybody who's a carer that you must take time for yourself and you must ask other people for help. Um, I try and go away for two days off every month now, which will just be in my camper van, I'll go away with the dog, my last trip was I went up to Cromarty and I was in the campsite there and I ate pizza and drank beer and had dog walks. But I didn't have to talk about cancer. I didn't have to worry about if Al had taken his meds or if he was feeling poorly or what he wanted to eat that night. And it's just like hitting a reset button. Um, I always say I need my selfish time and Al gets really angry with me and says, it's not being selfish, it's self-care. Um, and I also now have a counsellor that I speak to once a week as well. Um, so I have a therapist who is absolutely amazing and it's a person that I can just go blurt to and she'll say, that's so hard. I'm so sorry you're going through this because people don't often say that to you, you know. All these things just chime <laughs> so much with me, but obviously sitting on the other side of it, which is why I so, so wanted to talk to you. You know, I used to be, I, I admit, David, you know, went out on those bike rides, mm -hmm. even though he knew it was turning me inside out mm -hmm. um, with frustration and misery and heartbreak because it's what we used to do together. It yes. was the basis of, of how our relationship mm -hmm. came about. And I would, I, I dreaded Saturdays, yeah. dreaded them mm -hmm. because I'd see him 
taken off with his bike, mm-hmm. and my Saturdays would be this massive empty chasm of mm-hmm. just anger. Yes. Of yeah. just feeling angry. Yeah. But I hated the idea that cancer could rob him mm-hmm. of more than I felt it already yeah. was and had. Yes. Um, so I entirely relate to that, but I just, I also am really aware that whenever, you know, David would meet someone, they'd say, how's Penn? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they'd say, how, how are you? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. your life has been completely upended yeah. and will continue to be upended. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's like the carer always gets forgotten about in the sense that maybe it's because we put the strong face on, do you know, or we try so hard to protect the person who has cancer of looking after them and putting the brave face on or because we're always so busy, it's, it's, Al's a lot more capable than he was in the early days. Um, so I don't have the same, the same looking after him as I did. Um, but maybe it's because we get so caught up. You know, if someone would come around to see us, I'd go and do some housework or I'd catch up on paperwork or something because there was someone there to help out. Um, so I totally get it. You know, it's so it's so tricky and you don't get asked, how are you doing? You know, are you coping? Um, it's It's funny, you become incredibly blunt when you've got cancer in your life. You become... You just say it how it is. Do you know, like, <laughs> I don't know why I'm telling you this. <laughs> really? Someone, someone said to Al recently, um, oh, that's a posh Land Rover you've got. Um, the bakery must be doing really well. And he went, no, that's my end of life crisis. And the guy went, what? And he went, yeah, I'm dying, so I just spent my pension on a Land Rover because I've always wanted one. And the guy just did not know where to look. And I was just staring at my feet going, oh, Al. But, but, but you do, and it's like, at work, I will say things like, oh, well, when Al's not around, I'm just gonna get a pickup truck and I'm gonna fill it with Springer Spaniels. Do you know, you have to have jokes about it because if you don't, you'll just go bloody mad. You I know? remember Al saying that to me as well. I've roared with laughter. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's dead funny. When people ask, used to ask David how I was, he'd just say, hard to kill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, but yeah, people, they get scared and they don't know what to say. And actually, you know, going back to the whole blunt thing, I've got a really good friend, Rachel, and she took me for a walk. If, like probably about a year ago now and when Al was a bit poorly and she said KJ I don't know how to have this conversation with you but I'm really worried about when Al's not around anymore and how you're going to cope and I'm really worried you're just going to go off and go traveling or do something really stupid like run back to New Zealand when actually your home's here and we're all here for you and I was just so over the moon that someone just spoke to me clear as saying I'm really worried about a what your mental health's going to be like see how I'm going to help you and see how I'm going to stop you doing something stupid. <laughs> and it was just really refreshing rather than someone going, oh, you'll be fine. Everything will be fine. You'll get your life back. You know, I've had that. Yeah. Or I've had, oh, it's fine. My sister, she had cancer, but she's fine now. And it's like, no, Al's got incurable cancer. Don't compare it. It's, it is also, cancer. Don't you define what fine is? Yes. Yes. 
Absolutely. You mm -hmm. don't know yeah. what my fine looks like. Yeah. Oh, sorry, that makes me really angry. Yeah, I know, but rightfully <laughs> so. Everything will be fine. Yeah. How do you know? Yeah. So we've been going through a bit of a battle of um, Al wanting to go home to New Zealand to see his brother. And we asked the consultant and Al had really got his heart set on being able to go back to New Zealand because he loves it out there. And the consultant said, if that's the one thing in your life that you really want to do, we can make it happen, but it's got massive risks and I don't think you should do it. And he was like, if you want to travel, go in your camper van and go to Europe. But he's like, D please don't get on the plane. It's too risky. So that's sort of the thing like we were grieving for the most at the moment is the fact that we are hemmed in and we can't travel. But in saying that, we go away and we have amazing trips in Scotland. And even yesterday, we were on the Darwin Moor having a walk in the snow. And yes, it's not the Cairngorms and Al's not out in a blizzard and he's not hanging off a rock by one ice axe anymore. But he was in his element yesterday. It was snowing in our face. The wind was blowing our hoods off and he was just buzzing. You know, and this morning when we, when we got up, he was like, yesterday was awesome. You know, so it's about finding those little joys in life that are still there. Because there are still lots Absolutely. and lots of them. Mm -hmm. How long do you think it took before you could admit to Al the full impact on you? I mean, were you able to say early on how you felt, whether that was anger or just pure grief or, or whatever? Were you able to... No, and I'm not very good at putting anybody else... Uh, I'm not very good at putting... I always put myself last, like that's my natural thing to do is I'm, I'm always a giver. So I'm only working on that now with my counsellor, to be You're perfectly honest. I am a feeder in every way. <laughs> I mean, I did bring you donuts today. Oh, you did. <laughs> They're calling to me from next door. Yeah. Uh, so it's something that I'm working on. So last week I plucked up the courage to say I'd really like to have a ski holiday. And that felt like a massive deal. And Al was like, well, let's make it happen then. Um, and then bless him, he's gone and ordered me skins for my skis this week, you know, without me even asking. Um, and I think I kept telling myself that he's just going to be devastated because I want to do something where actually he's over the moon. Um, so, yeah, it's about finding that, that equal part. It's definitely a bit of a challenge. Um, but, yeah. And do you allow yourself to feel excited about that potential ski holiday? Or those, you know, you, you finally admit to the things that you need and you want because cancer shouldn't rob you of everything too. And do you look forward to them when you've, you've admitted it and whatever it is, and Al, of course, because I know Al mm -hmm. waves a wand and, and makes these things possible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are you then able to be guilt-free when you do them? Yes. So I had a trip recently where I took a little cabin at Loch Goylehead and I took a whole week off and went away on my own with one of our dogs and I walked the dog's legs off. I mean, he's a Springer Spaniel and he was exhausted <laughs> and I was just like up hills every day and it was fab and I came back a different person and I think what was good is that I think Al could see the benefits in that as well because I was happier and 
back to feeling a bit more like the old me. Uh, so if you'd asked me that a year ago, I probably would have said no. But now I feel like I'm, I'm finding my feet, you know, and it's exciting to be looking at a potential ski trip, you know. Um, if it's for work, I find it really easy because I am a workaholic. And that has been one of the things that I've been having to work really hard with my therapist as well, is that burying myself in work makes it all go away for a bit. Um, but it doesn't get rid of the issue, do you know? Um, like a prime example of, of that was this, this Christmas just been, uh, my birthday was on the 22nd, Al ended up getting rushed into Ragmore on the 21st. So I got home from work on the 21st after seeing Al getting put into an ambulance with COVID, which we didn't know was COVID at the time, um, knowing that if he's got a serious infection, that could be really bad. Uh, and going home on the 21st, knowing it's my birthday the next morning, just sitting on my own in the house going, God, is this what my future is going to be like? Do you know, being on my own, um, having birthdays on my own, having Christmas on my own. Um, it was quite terrifying, you know. So you can bury yourself in work as much as you want, but you're still going to have these bits that creep up and bite you on the ass. Um, so, yeah, it's all just a bit of a learning curve. Do you think it's selfish to indulge your, you know, or recognise how you feel about all this? And that is me being, you know, putting the word out there rather than, than, you know, getting you to put it out there. But I just wondered whether there's a kind of guilt in feeling, in admitting that you feel bad or, you know, in, the, the, no, in I don't, how you I, feel about I, cancer. I don't think I do because it is my life as well as Al's life. And it's horrific for Al. Um, you know, I've gone through points in my head where I've thought, do you know what, like this sounds ridiculous. And, but... I'm a chef, I'm not an outdoor instructor. Why couldn't it have been me? And then Al could still be doing his outdoor stuff because he loved being in the outdoors so much and he's been robbed of that where I could have carried on cooking or writing. Do you know, but that's not the answer to it, is it? You know, um, so, but I don't feel guilty about it anymore because at the end of the day, it is my life and I, like Al and I are incredibly open about things, you know, like we'll just say it how it is now. Um, and I said to him a couple of weeks ago, do you know, we're in this weird in-between territory at the minute. Like, well, I'm in this weird in-between territory because I feel like I'm stuck in the middle of our past life is, you know, over on the left and on the right is my future. But sadly, Al's not going to probably be in my future but I can't move on with my future when Al's here, but I don't want him not to be here. Um, and it's, it's such a tricky thing because I keep saying to myself, oh, I won't do a ski holiday. I'll be able to do that in the future when Al's not around. But what happens if I get sick and I don't get to do those things for myself? Because that's the thing that keeps staring me in the face is Al being ill. You don't know what's around the corner. Um, so I think, stealing those little bits and going and doing some things for yourself is really important. Yeah, and, and taking the time, I guess, to choose what life should look like today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This week. Yep. It was, it was Al that said to me, keep your horizons close. Yeah. 
keep your horizons close. And mm -hmm. I never forgot it. Mm -hmm. um, I think I kept them so close that actually I couldn't, couldn't see beyond <laughs> the end of my nose for quite a long time. Yeah. Um, but I totally got what he meant. Yeah. And my life feels much more full mm -hmm. of choice. Yes. I'm choosing to do this. You know, I'm choosing to do that. This is things I want to do for my life today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, like we definitely went through, well, I went through a bit of being quite bitter about other people still living lives. You know, I'd see friends and, you know, a friend would be, say, complaining to me about how their mortgage was a bit more expensive than they were hoping it would be. Or, you know, there'd be these little things and you'd just be like, oh, my God, do you have any idea how lucky you are? You know, and and it's so tricky. And I definitely, Al doesn't suffer from that. Al, Al's too, he's a nice person. <laughs> But it was so hard sometimes seeing like your mates that are out with their husbands skiing or, you know, things like that. But I don't know, we've just, we've found a new happy bit in life where doing just even small things is just really nice. We have a bit of a joke at the moment because I'm trying to do more outdoorsy stuff and be more independent in the hills. So we have crazy KJ's Sunday adventure and I pick somewhere on a map and I try and come up with the route on my own and I'll tell Al what we're doing when we get to the bottom of wherever we're going and you can just see him going oh my god you know but it's just it's become really good crack and some nights I'll some some days I'll totally overdo it and he'll have to go to bed like at six o'clock at night because he's absolutely burst but the next day he'll get up and go that was amazing do you know so it's about just not giving into it as well, you know? Just even like, like Al's got a great attitude of, I feel sick and my back's sore, but it'll, I'll feel sick and my back will be sore if I'm up a hill on my bike or lying in bed, so I might as well just get out and do something. Um, yeah, it's just changing the way you look at things. Sounds a bit like it has, has gifted you, and I always use the word gift really carefully. Yeah. Um, it's my word. If it's the wrong one, bin it. But it, it's given you these pockets of opportunity and, and these mm -hmm. changes in, in your relationship, which are good ones. Yeah. In the past, you probably wouldn't have got to choose how you went up that hill because yeah. he was the expert and so, mm -hmm. you know, it would have all been... Absolutely. Um, and there was always, because I worked at Glenmore Lodge and was like, you know, head of training and all sorts of crazy... You know, he was he had so much responsibility. Um, we... There was always this added pressure of we had to tick so many hills, he had to climb this grade, we had to bike so far or have this much climbing in that rides because someone else at his work would do something harder that weekend. And I'm just a little chubby chef, so I was trying to keep up with him and trying to do that. And then that was putting pressure on me where now I just feel all that pressure is gone. Do you know, it's about standing on the side of that hill yesterday in a blizzard. You know, we could have driven there in the car, but seeing Al's face, he was over the moon, you know, he could have been on top of Everest and he was just over the moon. He was so chuffed with himself just being there. It's great. You've always struck me as someone who is, you know, uh, super capable in lots of different directions <laughs> and lots of things. You've written an amazing cookery book. Your, your food is sublime. You're a successful businesswoman. Um, It sounds like Al's cancer, though, has brought out other qualities 
in you, mm -hmm. what do you think it's taught you about you? That I need to look after myself better. I need to... That I need to do things like go away in our camper van for a weekend to Abalawa and sit in the sun and drink a pint and read a book and not feel guilty about it. Um, because I have a tendency of going out on the bike and thrashing myself or burying myself in paperwork or writing on my blog or pushing myself to extremes where actually it's about taking, I probably learned to take my foot off the gas a bit and actually look what's around me um, and enjoy what is around me, you know. And that you're capable of doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah even though sometimes I do struggle with it. <laughs> it's just a work in progress. I'm a work in progress. <laughs> Finally, since I didn't ask it at the start, uh -oh. how's Al? He's great. He's good. He's driving me nuts, so he must be okay. Yeah, but no, he's in great form. Um, we have just bought an old Land Rover, and uh, one of the things that Al really struggles with is that he doesn't have a job anymore. So he'll come in and help me in the bakery, but then he'll have a couple of days of feeling poorly. So he won't follow up on his emails or doing things. I'll be pulling my hair out with him because he's contacted someone about a really great idea, but then they're chasing me and I'm stuck in the middle of it going, this is horrific. So we've come up with a in-between thing. So we've bought this massive box Land Rover and Bothy Bakery is gonna go on wheels hopefully next summer. So we're going to convert it, put a coffee machine in the back of it, and then Al gets to be a boy and refurbish this Land Rover. So he's got all these disgusting old greasy clothes already from lying underneath it in the snow at the moment doing it up. So he's in his element. So he's got some purpose again. Which he is has lovely. a project. Yeah. Yeah. He just keeps saying you need the man shared now, but, you know, he's just taking the piss. <laughs> and finally... If anyone's listening to this, who is sitting in your shoes to some extent, we can never sit entirely in anyone else's shoes because, mm -hmm. as we're always saying on this uh, this podcast, everyone's journey is different. But if they're sitting alongside someone who's got an ongoing diagnosis and in the thick of the fight, is there one thing that you would suggest, offer? them in terms of a path forward for them which isn't isn't at all selfish we've established that yeah but you know mm -hmm. what I think what would you like to have heard someone say to you maybe that would have been of use that you assuming you'd have listened to it yeah and I think people probably did say it to me at the start but I was like yeah yeah whatever um, is just the self-care you know it doesn't need to be going away for a weekend or a holiday, even just running a bath. You know, like, I think back to those days where Al was off his head on steroids, and instead of just sitting there nodding and agreeing with everything he was saying, or sitting on tender hooks worrying about what was gonna come out next, actually shutting the bathroom door for an hour and having a bubble bath, or taking a dog walk, or going to the pub for a pint with a book, just even for an hour, just give yourself that hour, because it's amazing you'll be amazed at how much you, you need it mentally. Um, 
yeah, just self-care, practice it, keep working it up. Yeah, and you know. if you're wanting to support, <laughs> if you're wanting to support the person with cancer in your life, actually looking after yourself better. Yeah, absolutely. And um, asking for help. Gives you more strength, doesn't it? It really does. And asking for help, you know, I was rubbish at that at the start. And um, I've got a good group of friends around us now that I can say, I'm going to go away for the weekend. Al's on steroid, come down. Could you just stick your head in and make sure he's okay? And I'll get back and they will have cooked him dinner or they will have dropped something off or they've dragged him out for a dog walk and he's happy as, you know. So Leaning yeah. into other people, yeah. something I didn't know I could do. Mm -hmm. I knew the people were there, but I didn't have the art of it Yeah. Mm -hmm. until I was ill. Yeah. But I think it's something we could all do mm -hmm. more of. And for anyone that knows someone that's caring, I think being able to ask, what do you need? You know, what can I do to help you? Um, even if they can't answer it straight away, it'll get them thinking about it. Um, you know, the friends that just sort of brushed over it and ignored it aren't really in our close group of friends anymore. But the people that said, what do you need? And I could say, could you just cook dinner on a Sunday evening? You know, or could you just drop in soup on a weekend when I'm at work? Or could you just stick your head in the door and make sure he's okay? Um, or walk the dog, you know? Um, they're the people that are still around us and now we're helping them out when we can. Um, so yeah, they're my top tips. KJ, it has been a joy. Thank you. It's always a joy to chat to you, my love. It's always a joy, especially when you bring donuts. Um, <laughs> If you want some of the best baking on the planet, not just Scotland, um, do head to KJ's Bothy Bakery, which is just outside Granton. Uh, they also do totally um, kind of badass sandwiches, coffees, all these kind of things, and cakes by post. Yeah. If you can't get there, yeah. you can do cakes by post. Yeah. Um, don't you even need to be living in the Highlands um, to bath in the stuff. Uh, a massive thank you as well, always, to Ali McCritchie and the whole team at Head Gardener in Inverness for their ongoing support for Lump Podcast. If you're in the Highlands, go and check them out. They're fantastic hairdressers. Plus, when you're in the salon, if you tell the team you're listening to the podcast, you will get a free gift. Oh, that's amazing. There you go. Beautiful hair and a free gift. If you're enjoying the series, do like, rate, comment and share, share, share. The more you share it, the easier it is for others to find us. Cancer is shit. Um, it's not easy to talk about. And for some people, listening to this might be the only place they get to hear about experiences like ours. That is it until the next episode when we are back on track with the next instalment of The Lump Story. Lump is written and presented by me, 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 Penny Stewart and produced by Adventurous Audio. Cheers for now. Mm -hmm.